0: You're listening to a CFCC audio podcast. For news and service times, visit www.cfccnet.org. During the holidays, some
1: people will invite you to Christmas parties
0: or other holiday
1: events. If you're emotionally fragile, those interactions can be stressful. Here's advice to help you plan responses to those inevitable invitations.
0: When you get invitations, it's really difficult sometimes to...
1: Evaluate: do I want to go or not? Maybe I'll just say no.
0: Perhaps there's another option. You might want to think about saying, can you just hold my invitation lightly? I'm planning on coming, but it may change that day because grieving people change several times during a day often.
1: The day may start out well and something may happen that just throws you for a loop and you're having a grief burst and you're not in a mood to go. It is
0: okay to say, I'm going to give you a tentative yes. Don't commit to that party just because you want to please someone or just to
1: make them feel better. Just be honest and say, you know, I'm still in the process. Some good days, some not so good, so I'll let you know.
0: If you venture out to a party or drop by to visit someone during the holidays, give thought to how you'll handle questions about how you're doing. Also, give
1: thought to how you'll respond to prying questions. You probably want to have a few things sort of scripted beforehand that you're going to say the same thing uh, to everybody when they ask. Have a, um, some sort of sense of how much you want to disclose and how much you don't want, want to share and disclose. If we don't have that, um, then we can sort of flounder and that can make us feel anxious and awkward, and now we're sharing more than what we, than we want to share, and, or, and then we feel pressured to answer people's questions.
0: It's not being impolite to say, um, hey, I, I really appreciate your, your interest and in, in your concern, but I'd just really rather not talk about it. And then you shift the subject, um, you, you change the subject by shifting the focus onto them simply by asking them a question. Um, hey Sam, isn't your isn't your daughter playing uh, you know soccer for Summit High School? Uh, and you you shift the the focus by changing the topic, but it being something that they would be they would be interested in. The holidays can be a difficult time for people in the grieving process. Uh, people. At different stages, it, just because the the loss wasn't recent doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And so we want to equip you and we want to support people that are going through that process. And because of that, uh, Soul Care is offering a seminar called Surviving the Holidays. There's some information about it in your bulletin. Uh, If you want more information, if you want to register to go to the seminar Surviving the Holidays, you can email soulcare at scifairchristian.org and and get all that information and get your spot reserved. Um, We also have our own holiday celebration coming up that that this kind of information helps with. On November 24th, we have our Thanksgiving feast right after the service, and we would love to see you there. We would love for you to join us in the gym after the service as we take some time out to give thanks for the blessings that we've had here individually and corporately as a church. and And, and so we would uh, ask that you make plans to come to that. Save that date, November 24th. But we know some people may have to change at the last minute, like the video said. Um, Also want to remind our students that there is no multiply tonight. Uh, You get a night off because Cody is on vacation and having fun and he wants you guys to have fun as well. And then lastly, Many of you in this room were at our fall festival last weekend. Um, we had at least 400 people on this campus, uh, and and that event, yeah, that's that's worth celebrating. That event had a purpose. Chili is fun, and inflatables are great, and the costumes are cute. And hopefully, you saw the little girl dressed as a storm cloud because she was amazing lights and rainbows, and that's all wonderful. But the purpose of that event continues on and you're a part of that purpose. We do things like that so that we can connect with our community, so that we can show them how, how much we love them and how valued they are, and so that we can show the love of Christ to them. So hopefully, we get visitors from that event. And your job when that happens is to welcome them to celebrate the fact that they're here, to bring them into the Cypher Christian Church family, the best thing that could happen is for you to come in and see someone in your seat, in your pew, because they don't know it's your seat because it's their first time here. When they do that, don't move them out. Sit next to them and introduce yourself.
1: Amen. Can we pray here just real quick? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us that uh, this is the day that you have made and we rejoice in it. God, you've given us this breath and we acknowledge it, that it's a gift of grace here today. And so we use this breath, Lord, to honor you and to worship you. Uh, You never change. And we are so thankful for your faithfulness to us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, again, it's good to see you guys this morning. Glad that you're worshiping with us. Yeah, as Travis said, if you were at the Fall Fest uh, last week. It was awesome. I mean, it was just packed in the gym. The chili cook-off teams knocked it out of the park. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's see. Are the Fiesta females in here? Are they, They're not in here? The Fiesta females won, I think. Didn't they win the chili? Was that right? Fiesta females? I guess they'd be arguing with me if that wasn't correct. That would be famales. Oh, famales. The, the, the f- The Famale Tamales, the Fiesta Famales. Well, anyway, it was an awesome time. It was packed. It was good to see everybody. Thank you for those who volunteered. It was really a service and a a blessing to the community. And uh, so we thank you for being a part of it. We just started a new uh, sermon series a couple of weeks ago, and it's entitled, Who Cares? Which is sort of an abrupt kind of gruff title for a series, Who Cares?, Um, But it's an appropriate question for the church these days. At one time, the few things had contributed more to the culture and and to society, in this nation particularly, than Christianity. But that's not the same anymore, is it? I mean, we find as Christians, we find ourselves being pushed further and further to the fringes. And so society is much different. researchers tell us, that church attendance is on the decline. People may claim to be Christians, but their participation in a local body has waned. Even in our area, right here, sci Christian, 9730 Grant Road, people attend in this area, church, about 1.6 times a month. And so the, the impact that Christianity has had on our society has waned. And, and, and so when you think about it, when you think about worship, who cares? You know, what does it really matter? Does it really make any kind of impact? When you think of character, you know, Dale talked about leadership and character, who really cares? This morning, we're gonna talk about who cares about faithfulness. And Malachi is gonna bring us a really, a really uh, challenging message. What does it mean to be faithful to one another? What does it mean to be faithful to God? And really, at the end of the day, is God faithful to us? But before we get into that, I want to give you a little background, sort of a recap of Malachi, the context. The people of God found themselves rebelling again. God rebuked them, and he warned them, but they wouldn't listen, and so he delivered them into the hands of the Babylonians. Babylonians conquered Jerusalem uh, tore down the temple, and they took the people back, uprooted them, and took them back to Babylon. But as God promised, He would also return them back to their home. And so, generations later, uh, about a hundred years later, they go back to Jerusalem and they begin rebuilding the city. And and a couple of generations later, rebuild the temple. But after a few generations of being back there out of captivity, you would think that they would still be thanking God for, uh, for delivering them from the Babylonians. But as it turned out, uh, they began to grow uh, insincere in their worship. Sort of the honeymoon period of coming back home had worn off. The reality started to set in and it started with their worship practices, which God said had become defiled. Their worship was sloppy, it was careless, it was sort of ho-hum. People including, not just, not just the, the, the people that were gathering there, but the pastors and the worship leaders and the Sunday school teachers and the ushers and the heavenly grounds people, they were all just sort of bored and kind of dragging themselves to this place of worship, going through the motions. And not only that, they were actually in conflict with one another, ignoring God's commands and being inauthentic when they stood before him to ask for forgiveness. And so that's where we pick up in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10. And I'm just gonna read this here for us. This is the English Standard Version. Uh, Pick up a copy of scripture if you have it. It's the last book of the New Testament, right before you get to Matthew. If you get to Matthew, you've gone too far. Just back up a little bit. Other thing I wanna mention to you, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Malachi uh, just has 55 verses. It's a very short book. This is a really good book. We'll talk about this in a minute, but this is a really good book to read in one sitting and not just one portion of it. We'll talk about why. This is Malachi chapter two, verse 10. Have we not all one father? Malachi says. Malachi's name is... Uh, malachi which means messenger and he's delivering a message and and the messenger's message who happens to be named messenger says have we not all one father has not god created us he says why then are we faithless to one another profaning the covenant of our fathers judah has been faithless and an abomination has been committed in israel and in jerusalem For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves and has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts, and then he continues in verse 13, and this is the second thing you do, he said, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand, but you say, why does he not, remember we, we talked about how the, the people of Israel sort of responding like a, uh, like a kid, every time you challenge them, they have a question, and, and so. The people are just like that. And they said, why does he not accept these offerings? And it says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking, godly offspring? He says, so guard yourself in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Eugene Peterson translates that phrase, the Lord of hosts, as the God of angel armies. This Lord who is over all of the spiritual realm and the physical realm. He says, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Dale is so nice to give me the easy sermons, isn't he? (laughs) So nice, just a. Really, hand this one to me. I think the only thing left out in here is circumcision. Uh, I'll let you preach on that next week, Dale. Right now, some of you in here may be feeling a little uncomfortable. You didn't come here today to to hear uh, an anti-divorce message. You didn't come here today to dredge up your past uh, and you're feeling a little uneasy. And I wanna tell you today that I don't wanna talk to you about your past and I, I really don't even want to talk to you today about your present. What I want to talk to you about is your future. What I want to talk to you about is your future. There's, there's not really a whole lot that we can do about our past, but we do have an opportunity to recommit to the Lord and change our future. I want today, I want to remind us what marriage is. Both, both those of you who are single and married, I want to remind you today what marriage is. For those of you who are teens and maybe thinking about what it may be like one day to be married, I want to remind you what marriage is and uphold it in a world that's empty of all of its meaning. It's just been absolutely deconstructed. It's now sort of looked from the world's point of view as just this sort of legal contract, this piece of paper that is uh, really, why is it necessary? Who cares? For you singles specifically, I want to to help build a biblical platform on which you might build a future marriage and so that when struggles and difficulties occur and no doubt they will, that you'll be able to bear them with each other. The first thing that we we look at here in this passage in Malachi chapter two, verse, verse 10, is that out of all the people in the world, Out of all the people who existed in Genesis, God chose one. He chose Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12 through 25, he he builds this relationship with Abraham and he makes a covenant with him in Genesis chapter 15. And he says to his people, sort of paraphrasing here a little bit, you're going to belong to me. Abraham, you're going to belong to me and I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be your father. You're going to be a father of a nation, and I'm going to create a people, Israel. I've chosen you, and you're going to belong to me. Out of all the nations in the world that I could have chosen, I'm choosing you, and you're going to belong to me. You're going to be my holy nation. You're going to be my treasured People, My treasured possession, you're gonna be the apple of my eyes. This is what First Peter 2, 9 says. Carrie actually even referenced it earlier today. You're gonna to be my people. I'm gonna be your father, your spiritual father. Descendants of Abraham then organized themselves into tribes. We have the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And these tribes were in conflict with one another. And Malachi says, you're one nation under one God, almighty God. And you represent me, you're my children and you should be a testament to the world of the glory of God. And yet instead you undermine that by being in conflict with one another. And so Malachi's message here to these people is simple. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who called you. You have one father, one God. There's a great documentary on uh, PBS right now about country music. Have any of you seen it? It's really good. I'm telling you, it is awesome. Even if you're not a country music fan, it's really, really good. And they give the history of the Ricky Skaggs song from like the early 80s. It was actually a Bill Monroe song called Don't Forget Your Raisin. You know what that means? It means don't forget where you came from. Malachi says, don't forget where you came from. If we look at the text, he says... Why do you act treacherously against one another, profaning, profaning the covenant of your fathers? You have one father and one God. Why do you do this? Don't forget where you came from. If we forget who we are and where we come from, we will then be faithless to one another. So it's important for us to remember this. The way in which we, we treat one another, especially other brothers and sisters in Christ, is a testament to the world of our God. Got any Kanye West fans in here? Yeah? Gene and June, I see you raising your hands back there, yeah? (laughs) Kanye West fans. Okay, so Kanye West is one of the most famous people on the planet, He has not only like record-breaking, chart-topping music, he has his own premium fashion line. Uh, He's always in the news for making controversial comments. And he's also married to Kim Kardashian. All of that together keeps him in the news constantly. And about a year ago, he he had a very public meltdown that everyone saw. And it's taken him a while to come out of that, but he actually tells the story of being in the hospital, in a hospital bed and hearing God speak to him. And in that moment, in that hospital bed, he committed his life to Christ and God told him to start a church service in Southern California to which he did, and now it happens on a weekly basis, and it's huge, he's got this choir, he's got this music, there are people from pop culture who kind of like, they wanna be a part of it, they're not real sure what this is, but they're looking from the, the outskirts. Last week he re- re- released, he released his, his first album in a while. This is a guy who used to call himself Jesus, and now he's, he's released an album called Jesus is King. And this album is full of Christian, honest, raw, sincere Christian lyrics that I would argue are better than a lot that you hear on KSBJ. It's amazing. He was on James Corden, the late, late show the other night, the late night talk show, the guy who does the carpool karaoke, right? And he, he met up with Kanye, got on a plane with him, with his whole choir, and they were singing all of these gospel songs. And in between these songs, he started asking Kanye, like, what? What is this all about? You know, I'm not, um, this is really coming out of left field for a lot of people. Kanye told the story and he said, I am now in service to Christ. I don't serve myself. I mean, these are, these are not just sort of platitudes and sort of Christian cliches. He's going, I serve Jesus And I don't care, it's not about me anymore. It's about serving Jesus and and what God has laid on my heart. Here's the thing. Christians are blasting him. So many people, Christians especially, are blasting him, accusing him of not being sincere and trying to just manipulate the, the Christian market so that he might make more money. God says, this testifies to me when christians attack one another when they're in conflict with one another when they're not faithful when they don't bear one another this is a testimony to me and a unity with other believers what proves you're a believer of the lord jesus christ is your love for others especially your brothers and sisters in christ No matter the race, no matter the nationality or ethnicity, Jesus said that the world would know we are Christians by our love, John 13, 35. The world will know that we are Christians by our love. Likewise, the world will question our love if we're attacking one another. Will Kanye stumble? Yes. Will he fall? Yes. Will he mess up? Yes, But if you don't believe that Jesus is powerful enough to save the soul of Kanye West, then you don't believe the God I believe in. This is what Christians have been praying for, somebody who would represent, somebody who would be an ambassador, and we have one of the most famous people in the world representing us now. Let's pray for him when we're putting down other people, when we're using foul language, all of these things undermine God's testimony. Followers of Jesus should be characterized by their love for other, others, especially when it comes to other believers. Now, the second thing was that Israel was, was being faithless not only to one another, but to God's precepts. And so God tells them that they had profaned the sanctuary and we're not exactly sure how that happened but it obviously included theft and murder and adultery and swearing fa- falsely and most importantly it included idolatry and this this passage that that Malachi gives this message that the messenger whose name is message gives us as a message says he says that it's within a context of a marriage relationship with God. This relationship that we have with him is a marriage. Remember in Malachi chapter one, verse two, we started off the whole book and said, this is gonna be tough. It's gonna gonna be difficult for us to receive this. But the very first thing that God starts off by saying is, what, I have loved you. We're in a relationship with him. A marriage relationship with him. In the Old Testament, the place where God met his beloved people, this is before Jesus, before the work of the Holy Spirit, the place where God met with his beloved bride, his people, the people of Israel, was in the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. And this place was a symbol of the covenant love that he had with them. It actually included in the Holy of Holies The Ten Commandments were, in essence, and we don't have enough time to talk about this today, but a love letter that he had written to his people. Instead of of entering into this relationship with the same kind of love, the people of God had rejected all of this and they had given their love to someone else. And the, the passage tells us here that men were divorcing their wives and marrying pagan women against God's commands, against the things that he had said. now, why had he commanded people to not marry pagan women? It has nothing to do with ethnicity, I will tell you. It has nothing to do with race. It was about protecting his covenant people from idolatry. That was the purpose of that command, In Deuteronomy 7, he says very explicitly, he says, they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. You'll be tempted to compromise. You'll be tempted to lean that direction. And so don't do that. Stay away from pagan women of other gods. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14. I think we have it on on the, the screen. He says, do not be equally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? You hear what he's saying there? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, and I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal to God? Because God is trying to do something through his people. Through his people in marriage. Christians, we have a framework based on Christ in which we love, in which we give, in which we live, and it shapes everything that we do. We talk about the, the worldview. Remember, we talked about several, several months ago what a, what a worldview is? And if you're unequally yoked with someone else, you're gonna have very, very different views of the world, you're gonna see it differently. And it's going to create strife. And it's going to be difficult in most cases. It, this Christian worldview, it molds the way we raise our kids. It shapes the way we participate in different organizations. And it molds the way we discipline, uh, we, how we discipline ourselves and our dedication. And to unite with someone who has a contradictory worldview creates a tremendous temptation to abandon the one true God for worldly unbiblical pursuits. And so biblical marriage is one of God's most powerful tools to communicate to the world his love. And that's why he's so serious about it. Think about it. The pinnacle of creation, I think Carrie mentioned this earlier too in Genesis. She could have just gotten up here and done the whole message the pinnacle of the creation story is essentially a marriage between Adam and Eve. The two became one. What happens at the end of Revelation? A wedding, the, the wedding feast of the Lamb. The Bible is essentially bookended by two weddings. God is very serious about the relationship. Of marriage that 's why he mentions in this passage he mentions divorce twice I used to I used to uh, when I would do uh, um, wedding ceremonies, I used to write with the bride and the groom in mind. I would create the wedding ceremony, and they were sort of my focus. they were the ones that I was speaking to. They were the ones that I was trying to encourage. But the older I got, I realized it wasn't just about the bride and the groom. It was about the witnesses that were there with us. That these people weren't just an audience. They weren't just watching, but they were committing. They were going to support these people in prayer. They were going to hold them accountable. But also, many of those people out there, like you, were in marriage relationships, And and they needed to be reminded, just as the bride and groom, and just as myself, what marriage means. The purpose of marriage is to put on display for the world, through man and woman, the unbreakable relationship between Christ and his church. That's the purpose of marriage. It's not just for our sake. It's not just for our pleasure. It's not just something that we get to do or have to do, the world depends on this picture. And when they see godly couples honoring one another, mutually serving one another, mutually submitting to one another, mutually, it's a beautiful thing. It's for the sake of the world that God has entered into this relationship with us. And it's a big theme in the book of of Malachi, if you pay attention. God receiving the honor that he's due. God receiving the glory that he is due. And so that we can enjoy a good relationship with one another. It's so that the relationship can spill out into the world. Malachi says this, and and if we back up just a little bit, he says in Malachi 1.5, he says, you will say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. Again, remember, you are, you are a people who are representatives of me. And when you undermine my image, you take away, you undermine the glory that is due my name. What we experience in marriage has to be a mirror of the relationship Between us and God, a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. We, again, are married to him. And we mirror that marriage in our marriages here. I want to give you a tangible tangible, uh, example of this. This is a, a couple named Robertson and Muriel McQuilkin. And this story comes out of a book called A Promise Kept, that Robertson and wrote. He was a former missionary and seminary president who retired because of his wife, Muriel. She had Alzheimer's disease. He decided then to dedicate himself full-time for as long as the Lord deemed necessary to take care of his wife. He wrote, care of Muriel was not only challenging when we reached our destination, it was equally challenging in route. I began to empathize with those young fathers who you sometimes see in an airport accosting perfect strangers who emerge from the women's restroom. Did you see a little six-year-old girl in there? Airline attendants would watch in well-guarded bemusement as I crowded with Muriel into the tiny cubicle that houses the in-flight toilet. See, I knew what they didn't. If she ever got in there and got the door shut, unlikely as that might be, she could never have gotten it open again. Once our flight was delayed in Atlanta and we had to wait a couple of hours, now that's a challenge, every few minutes the same questions and the same answers about what we're doing here and when we're going home, and every few minutes we'd have to take a fast-paced walk down the terminal in earnest search of what. Muriel had always been a speed walker and I had to jog to keep up with her. An attractive woman, executive type, sat across from us, working diligently on her computer. And once, when we returned from an excursion, she said something without looking up from her papers. And since no one else was nearby, I assumed that she had spoken to me or at least mumbled in protest of our constant activity. Pardon, I asked. Oh, she said, I was just asking myself, will I ever find a man like that? Whatever the world is going to know about God, they're going to know it from us. They're going to know it from our relationships with our friends, with our enemies, and with our spouses. It's going to see in us, in the mirror of our marriages, what God is like, that he's a loving, covenant-keeping, faithful God. In light of, of all that we've just said, I was just checking the clock to make sure I have enough time. Wow, dude, do do? oh, that clock is, has that been set right? Oh, my gosh. In light of all that we just talked about, it's a blunt passage. I get it. It's difficult, especially for some of you who've experienced some of these things. But if we take this one passage, Malachi 2:10 through16, out of context of God's word, you might only see judgment. You might only see the hand of God coming down on these people. But I want to point you a little forward to Malachi chapter three, verse six through seven, And this is a little preview of, of what's to come. But I just want you to see this. It's, it's in the book of Malachi and it's also in the book of Jeremiah and it's also in the Gospels and it's also in Paul's letters to all of the churches. There's grace. And Malachi, even in this book full of rebuke, rebukes, God, God is reminding the people this is what they've done. He's rebuking them and he's telling them, you've got to repent, you've got to come back to me. And if you do, he says in Malachi chapter 3, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. We sang it earlier. I don't know if you caught it from age to age he doesn't change. And remember that covenant that he made with Abraham? That covenant that he made with him, the promise that I'm going to make you a holy nation and I'm going to make you a people of my own possession and you're going to be a royal priesthood. That stuff that he said there, that wasn't contingent on Abraham. God knew that we would stumble. He knew that we would fall. He knew that we would forget. He knew that we would rebel. And in his goodness, he sent us Jesus. (laughs) In his goodness, he sent us Christ. And he's saying to us, I don't change. And even if you don't fulfill your side of the deal, I will. Even if you are unfaithful to me, I will be faithful to you. Even if you divorce me, or even if you've been divorced, I will not divorce you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. It says over and over in Scripture. God's people, you and I, are constantly being lured away by other gods. And Jesus remained faithful to the God of the covenant and relentlessly pursued his bride. Even when we were unfaithful to him, Christ remained faithful to us all the way to the cross. And I love this, Galatians, I wish I could read just this whole chapter to you, but Galatians chapter three, verse 13, it says that he remained faithful all the way to the cross so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to not just the Jews, but also to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. God has been faithful to the end through Jesus. And I want to just remind you today and maybe open your eyes a little bit to the gospel. And the gospel is this, that you and I are way more messed up than we think we are. Some of you are looking at other people going, uh-huh, yeah. You and I are way more messed up than we think we are. And I don't just mean messed up, I mean sinful. Our sin is a way bigger deal than we fully understand on this side of eternity. But here's the gospel. Jesus's love is far bigger than we get. His grace is far larger than we worship him for on this side of eternity. One day we'll know. Today we see in part dimly. One day we will see in full in his presence how much he loves us. Jesus is the only faithful one. That's what I want you to hear today. You may have sort of excluded yourself from the passage, but man, we have been lured away to pagan gods we have been lured away from him some of us maybe at one point in our life maybe divorced ourselves from him jeremiah actually says tells this story paints this picture of the people of israel rejecting god and demanding a divorce and it says that god just gave them over to their desire but later in the book of jeremiah chapter 3 He says the same thing he says here. He goes, return to me, Israel. Return to me, my children. That's what he's saying here to you and I today. Jesus is the one we place our confidence in for salvation and our relationship with him is really and truly the only relationship that will transform us. It's the relationship that will spill out into our lives and allow us to serve our spouses even when it's not easy. It'll allow us to forgive our enemies, and we know how hard that is. It'll, it'll allow us to love our neighbors when they're a little different than we are. Jesus is the only one faithful in his relationship will transform us. And so from this day forward, may his love empower us to not only love one another, but to love our spouses. We're gonna move into a time of of communion. And I just wanted to sort of set that up and remind you of what Jesus has done for us. As our communion servers come up, I'll tell you a little bit about how we do communion here. Communion, I'll first of all tell you that communion, for those of you who don't know, Communion is celebrated here. The Lord's Supper is celebrated here every single week because we are people who leak. We are people who forget. And we need to be reminded. It's not something that becomes rote or ritual or routine. We do it every week because we constantly need to be reminded of the grace that God gives us. And so while it's not always... In the center of our service, it's central to everything that we do. What Jesus did is central to everything that we do here. And it propels us, his love propels us out into the world to show the same grace and mercy that he's shown us. And so our servers are gonna come up here and and Jesus has given us these elements, this bread and this cup, so simple. I was thinking a couple of weeks ago when the power went out. So thankful he didn't give us an iPad to remind us of his love (laughs) He gave us something that is always available, something so simple, something that is almost always available to remind us. And so these really simple elements, this bread and this cup represent his sacrifice. The bread, his body, and the cup, the blood that he shed. And we're gonna come forward here in just a moment. And if you wish, you can come up here The server will say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. For you. Not for for you, yes, but also for you. And then you'll take that piece of bread and we dip it into the cup as the other server says, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Not just for you, yes, but for you and you and you. And let's make this a celebration We wander, we're lured away, but let's celebrate that God is always calling us back and recommit to being faithful to him and faithful to the people around us. Our prayer prayer partners are also gonna be available. I think there's some in the back. They're also gonna come there. I see a couple of them. They're gonna be right up here in in between and, and available in this moment and then after the service. And if you wanna take advantage and maybe have them pray for something in your life or maybe... Pray on behalf of someone else. Please come, don't be ashamed, don't be shy. Let's celebrate the love of Jesus and his faithfulness to us that never changes. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are a rock. You are our foundation, that you never change, that you are always faithful even when we are not. And we lift up your name here today. Lord, give us grace Give us mercy here today. Forgive us of our sins and send us out into the world to proclaim what you've done for us, to be a mirror for you, to reflect your goodness in the way that we treat one another in our marriages, oh God. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name, amen.